You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. This is a fun start. Uh, So, full disclosure, don't try to ever hide anything in your life, because I actually broke the microphone uh, trying to, like, set it, because my ears, I don't know if you know, Jake and Justin, they're much bigger than I am, and their ears are much bigger than me, partially because they're older than me, and your ears grow over time. Burn. Sorry, I got to make you laugh while I'm undoing all this, Uh, but... I was trying to, I have this problem every time where I have to put the mic like much closer to my ear. And so what happened was, is I broke the mic, at least the top of it in electronics. If it, you know, if you break the circuit, it doesn't work anymore. And so I thought I could jerry rig it. (laughs) I didn't go to UT, so I'm not that smart. (laughs) So I can't jerry rig mics. Okay, full disclosure. But you guys can stand for the reading of the word. Uh, and the word will be much more perfect than I am, clearly. So here's Sandra. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is the word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. All right, so after that fun, eventual, event, eventful, adventurous beginning, uh, my name's Josh, and I'm the college pastor here at Midtown, and I'm so excited uh, to be speaking with you guys tonight, tonight, today. Uh, and so, you know, I don't usually ever speak with a handheld mic, so we'll see how this goes. I'm not one of those, like, Ricky Bobby's like, what do I do with my hands during an interview? I know exactly what to do with my hands. So I don't know what to not do with my hands. So we'll see how this goes. But, uh, man, again, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Uh, We are actually just coming off of a series about community, where we talked about all different uh, facets of community, a a series called Life Together. We talked about community as a spiritual family, about really being a part of a community that's not just about preferences or, or really centered around what we find to be true in the world, but really a community of practice where we love people even if we disagree with them. And that at the heart and at the center of our community is not, uh, is love, right? Is, is love and the love that Jesus had for us, we then pour out to others. And so we are actually starting a new series today, but I wanted to kind of use this morning as a bridge from the other series to this series. And so we talked a lot about community, but I wanted to go and kind of dive deep into what does it look like to rethink our friendships and how we engage in relationships in our life. And I think John 13 is a great place to start. And so this series that we're starting this week is called the Upper Room Discourse. And so this is 
John 13 through 17, it's five chapters really at the end of John that is Jesus having his last interaction and conversation with his close friends, his disciples. And so this is his last night with them, this last meal together. And so we know that what Jesus says to them is really important. And it's funny because Jake actually, I don't know if he just likes to read the end of books first or what, but he started last week. He did John 17. He did the very end of it, which is where we're going to end this series in four months or three months, whenever we end it. Um, But if you remember, the last part of John 17 says, hey, I say all this so that my love may be in them. And I think it's ironic that Jesus ends with love in his conversation with them because he actually begins there as well in John 13, 1 through 5. And so that's where we're going to begin today. We're going to look at the first five verses of John and really look at the context of this conversation that he has um, and these interactions that he has here um, and then really set the stage for the rest of the series. And so um, I'm going to tell you guys uh, a couple different things. Really tonight, today we're going to talk about love and really rethinking friendship. But then we're also, I'm going to tell you a few stories. If you're not interested in love, then that's okay. Um, I got a few fun stories for you. I'm going to tell you about my 19-year-old dating life, which is horrible and funny and you can laugh. It's okay. It's church. Um, we can laugh here, clearly. We've already done a little bit of that today. Um, and then I'm going to tell you about two movies, one called The Marriage Story. How many of you guys have seen The Marriage Story? Okay, I'm going to have to do some explaining about that one. Okay, a few of you. Uh, and then another movie called Boss Baby. How many people? Okay, some of you guys have kids. Some of you don't. Okay, we need to talk about that. Um, no, so I'm going to tell you a few different stories. I think we're going to have fun. But before we get into it, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning, God, and even uh, the mic not working. God, we know um, that you don't expect perfection from us, God, that you don't uh, expect us to bring everything to the table, God, that you did everything for us, God, that you loved us first, that you went first. God, I pray that we we have a conversation today that we would see uh, that you are all about love, and that love is expressed through servanthood and sacrifice. And that we would be willing to embody that ourselves. That we would be willing to go first in our relationships. That we would exemplify love the way that you did through servanthood. God, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. All right. I'm going to start by reading John 13 again, 1 through 5. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So a few things we see here in verse 1, just really clearly. Jesus knows that he's about to die. He knows that he's come from the Father. He knows that he's going back to the Father, and that's really clear. The other thing that's clear here is that they are about to have a meal together, right? They're about to have this this moment that's going to be this last moment that Jesus has with his disciples. And then we know that Jesus wants to express to his closest friends and Judas, what is most important to him. And we'll get into all of that. And so 
The second part of this verse says this, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. Um, And that phrase, to the end, you know, the first question I have for that is like, what does that mean? What does it mean to the end? And so a few different definitions um, for this word is this. It's an aim or goal, right, or to completion, to the utmost, which isn't a word that I use often, to be honest, or to the end. N.T. Wright says this. Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the uttermost. He loved them as to loss, to the end. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, there was nothing that love could do for them that love did not do for them. NIV 1984 says it this way. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So to the end is this idea of completion, or it, it really has this idea of having a purpose. And so Jesus gets here, right, and he says, hey, I'm going to show them the full extent of my love. And, you know, I, if you ever wondered, if, you know, if you ever try to boil down what love is all about, what does it look like to extend love fully, what well, Jesus shows us right here. He takes the posture of a servant, and he bends down and begins to wash his disciples' feet one by one. And this is something in their culture at the time that rabbis, which Jesus was, they would have never done this. Like, there was people that were paid in the house to wash people's feet. And rabbis, this just wasn't something that was in uh, their worldview, what they would have thought of doing for their disciples. And Jesus does for them um, the unexpected. And he shows them what love looks like, and he begins to serve them. And who does he serve? He serves his disciples, but they mention two people in these, in these verses. Well, one person, they mention Judas. And then verse 6, he goes on, and, and Jesus has a conversation with Peter. And it's interesting that it specifically mentions, John does, Judas and Peter. Because those are the two pe- people in this story with Jesus that are going to do horrific things to him. One is going to betray him, right, Judas, and sell him, sell him basically, or not sell him, but betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And then the other one, Peter is going to deny Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't only serve those that are, do good things to him, right, that treat him well. He serves those who act as if they're his enemies, and so what Jesus is saying here is that love is not only for those that we prefer, as Matt talked about, but it's for everyone, and especially those who might be our enemies. The other thing that we see from Jesus here in verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. I love that phrase. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So it wasn't just that Judas was about to betray him. Jesus had power. And what does Jesus do with power? He doesn't, as he says, he doesn't lord it over people. He doesn't use it for his own benefit. He bends down and he begins to serve, even serves his enemies. And I love that because, again, it's not something that this is outside of Jesus' control what's about to happen. This is absolutely in his control, and he's in control in this moment, and he uses it to serve others. And then what Jesus says to kind of wrap up this whole 
this old conversation he has here in John 13 with his disciples in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And again, like there's no like kind of guessing what Jesus means by this because he has just washed their feet. He has just done the unexpected. He's just loved them. He says, hey, now go do likewise. He says, hey, go serve others around you. And I think what Jesus does here is actually causes them to rethink the way that they engage in relationships around them. And so for us, this is where I want to camp out today. I want to help us rethink friendships. In light of God's love and acceptance for us, which I loved here in Austin's story, that God fully loves and accepts us in Jesus. Not because of anything we do, not because we're perfect, not because we've done spectacular things or because we have accomplished a lot, but because we're his sons and daughters that he loves us. And because of that, in light of that, how do we extend that same love to one another through unconditional friendships? And that's what I want to talk about today. But before we talk about how we do it, we need to talk about what it looks like and how we engage in relationships. And there's two ways that we typically engage in relationships. One is transactional, right? Matt talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago. Kind of tit for tat, I do for you, you do for me. And then the other way is transformational. Transactional is all about what I can get. How can I take, 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 take? Transformational is all about what I can give. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into transactional relationships. Typically, the way that we traditionally think about transactional relationships is they're typically economic and functional, right? There's usually an exchange of goods and services, right, or some type of money exchange. So I'll give you a couple examples here. Um, I was at an Apple store about three months ago, had to buy this computer. Um, I could not have given this talk with a computer and saved trees with my old computer because it had to be plugged in at all times because the battery was dying. So I had to go to Apple and get a new computer, right? So I had a lovely, you know, employee come and help me out. And we spent about 10 minutes together. She helped me get all the stuff I needed. And then that relationship was over, right? In transactional relationships, there's a very clear point, right? I had to get a computer. I got my computer. Once that point was done, once that relationship no longer made sense, it ended, Think about it this way. Some all or not all of us, some of us have employers, right? People that pay us money, right? We do a certain job, and we do that job, we get paid for that job. That's a transactional relationship. Or some of you guys don't get have jobs because you're college students and you're poor, and so you have teachers or professors, right? And you have classes, not forever, right? You have them for a semester. So you have them for 15 weeks, you have those professors. They teach you something, you pay the money to teach you something, they teach you something, you get something from that, and at the end of the semester, typically, that relationship ends, right? And I could go on and on with different, like, coaches, kind of all that. And sometimes, these are transformational relationships where they stick with us for a long time, but typically, they end after a certain period of time. And these are great relationships, to be honest, right? Like, these are necessary and effective. My son gets better at baseball because he has a coach that cares about him and that teaches him how to play, and that's me. Uh, no. <laughs> it is kind of me. I'm just the assistant, though. Uh, but no, like, 
these are good relationships. Like, I would not have a computer if I did not interact with Apple. Like, that's a good relationship. But the problem is when our personal relationships become transactional. Because we all know that to create deep, meaningful relationships, like, it can't just be about what we can get. It's got to be about something else. But the reality is that many of us, we treat our personal relationships as if they're transactional. As if the goal is to get as most out of these relationships as we can while outputting or inputting as little as possible. But again, like we just can't have meaningful relationships with that type of mindset. So I want to give you guys another example. This is from my life. You guys can feel free to laugh. It's funny. I was 19. And so, uh, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about my own dating history. So when I was a freshman in college, um, actually right before my freshman year I was going, I was so pumped about college, and mainly because I had the freedom to choose whatever I wanted to do. I was most excited to be able to choose in the category of relationships, and not just friendships, dating relationships. And so I went off to college, and like, man, like two months I dated like three girls. Like, boom, boom, boom. They were really quick. And, uh, and at the end of kind of this third girl that I was talking to, like, I realized, like, like, hey, like, something's going on inside of me. Like, this just isn't right. And so I start listening to this song called This Woman's Work by Maxwell. Anybody know that song? Okay, a few of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great song. You should listen to it. Um, but for me, there's, like, three of us. It was, like, 2000, so I get it. I'm old. Um, so... This one's work by Maxwell. I start listening to this song, and, like, something starts happening in me. Like, I start to get this, like, pain in my chest, and, like, tears start coming down my eyes. And I'm like, what is going on? And I, I can't figure it out. But the song ends. These emotions that are going on inside of me, they clear up. And so I just kind of move on with life. I'm like, that was a weird thing that happened, but we're going to get past it. It's good. So a couple of weeks go by, and I meet another girl. And this girl was awesome. Her name was Jenny, Jenny Freeze. Um, my friends would come to later call her Freezer Bird because they did not like her. But her name was Jenny Freeze. And Jenny was, again, she was awesome. And so we, like, we hit it off right from the start. We had the same ideologies, the same beliefs. Like, she was a Christian. And, like, where I was from in D.C., like, we didn't have a lot of Christians. And so I was like, this is awesome. And then we also had the same values. Like, we both loved to flirt. And this, like, we, we had that down. And so we had a lot of fun together. There's just one problem. Her and, like, one of my closest friends were actually, like, talking at the time. And so, like, I had a choice. And I was like, hey, like, do I choose, like, you know, choice is old as time, right? I choose my boy or I choose the girl. And, like, because I'm standing up here telling this story today, you know what I chose and although you're better people than me, I'm up here talking. So I chose the girl, and, um, and that was really sad, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. But I chose the girl, and this was a great relationship. Like, this went awesome, and it was worth the sacrifice of the friendship for about a month and a half. And you laugh, but that was the longest I'd ever dated anybody to that point. So I was pumped. So we get to the end of this month and a half. We're dating. Things on my end are going well. She reads this book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Have anybody ever heard of that book? Mm-hmm. A few of you. Back then, this book was awesome. Now it's been canceled. So <laughs> I was right. I was right. 
but back then, this was all the rage. And this girl loved this book, and she realized that she's a teenage person, and I'm a teenager. She's like, we're not ready for marriage, and so we shouldn't date. And I'm like, yeah, we're not ready for marriage. We should still date, though. Come on. Like, we're just having fun. And she's like, no, like, it's got to be for marriage. And I'm like, cool. So I was really mad. Like, got broken up with and was not happy. And so I am so upset for about, like, 10 minutes. <clears throat> and then I realize she's a teenager. And we teenagers, we change our minds every, like, second. So uh, I was like, hey, here's what I'll do. I'll give her, like, the whole second semester of school. Like, just chill out. Won't hang out with her. And, um, and then I'll come back over the summer, and I'll start to pursue her again, and we'll see if I can win her back, woo her back as it is. And so semester goes by. Summer starts. I got my game on. We're ready to go. I start kind of talking to her again. And then uh, we're about to go out on a date, go see Spider-Man, like, the first one, like, 20 years ago. Um, and... About to go see Spider-Man, and then one of my, another close friend, his name's Kurt. Kurt calls me up and says, hey, Josh, like, listen, I just found out that Jenny's actually seeing another guy. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Like, what am I going to do? And so I go to my other best friend, Ryan, and Ryan's a year older than the rest of us, so he's wise. <laughs> he's 20, and he knows what he's doing. <laughs> in he had never dated a girl at that point, but he knew what he was doing. So I go to Ryan. And I say, Ryan, what should I do? Like, what should I do here? And he's like, man, I don't know. I said, but, you know, I got it. I know what I sh you should do. Just date another girl. He's like, yeah, yeah, and pick one that she's friends with. Because then you'll make her jealous. And then you're dating somebody, so you get your own emotional needs met. It's, like, perfect. And, like, we all went to high school together. I went to high school with this girl, Jenny. And so I was like, man. Ryan, are you serious? That's brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? This is all true. I'm not fabricating this story. I was that dumb. Uh, and so we, you know, we had some mutual friends because we all went to high school together, and we picked out a girl, and I dated that girl. And, um, and it all worked. It all worked. And two and a half months into that relationship, I'm getting longer Things are getting better for me. Uh, but at the end of that two and a half months, I'm mowing my lawn one day. This is the end of the summer. And I just had this, like, epiphany. And I don't, I don't know what it was. Like, maybe it was just my mind. Maybe it was my conscience. Maybe it was my guilt. Maybe it was God. Like, I don't know. But the last, like, year of my life just, like, flashes before my eyes as I'm mowing my lawn. I just see kind of what I've done. And I realize, oh, that feeling I felt was loneliness. And I used Jenny as something to get over that loneliness. And in that, using Jenny, I actually chose Jenny, and I just destroyed this relationship with a very close friend of mine that I don't speak to to today. And then I realized that I was using Gene as a rebound to get over Jenny. And I'd realized that, like, man, at that point in my life, ironically, <laughs> I'd promised myself that I would never use other people. And I had just become, like, the villain in my own story. And I looked at the wake of my life over the, the previous year. All I saw was destruction. And I just realized that all my relationships had essentially become transactional for me. They're all about what I could get, what I could take and take and take. And I thought 
what I would get was a, a feeling of fullness and wholeness, and I just felt empty. And I'm not going to tell you what happened to Jenny and Jean. You'll have to ask me later. But, no, I broke up with Jean, and um, I'll have to tell you the Jenny story later because it's much longer. But, but, like, for me, like, transactional relationships was the only way that I knew how to function and how to live. My, my relationships were all about me. And so I really started to ask myself, man, how do I, how do I move forward in this? And this is how I started to follow Jesus, to be honest. Because I grew up in a Christian house, but I hadn't, clearly hadn't been walking with Jesus. Um, but I knew that Jesus lived a life that I didn't. I knew that I had things that I needed to learn about how to treat people and how to love people well. And so I looked into the scriptures and looked into the life of Jesus and saw what he had to say. And part of what I picked up in this is this idea of transformational relationships and moving from transactional to transformational relationships where those relationships and transformational relationships, it's not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. It's about giving the most you possibly can in an attempt to love and serve others. As N.T. Wright said, there was nothing that love could do for them that love did not do for them. I love that. See, if you look at the life of Jesus, you looked what he did when he washed his disciples' feet. Like, he is, like, living out and embodying these principles of humility and generosity, selflessness, sacrifice, seeking the good of others, serving others, even if they're going to betray and hurt you. Jesus doesn't, like, he doesn't delineate between who he loves, who he extends this transformational relationship to. It's to everyone. In transformational relationships, there's no scorekeeping, right? There's no, like tracking and measuring and transactional relationships it's all about tracking and measuring what did you do for me right the expectation of reciprocity there are no gifts in transactional relationships i scratch your back you scratch mine that's that's the mentality right there's a consistent reminder in transactional relationships of what's been lost what's been sacrificed your failures and your mess ups in the, in the marriage story, the movie The Marriage Story, it's Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. It's actually one of the best movies on a cultural view of relationships I've ever seen. It's really, really good. And it's ironically, although it's called The Marriage Story, it's really all about the divorce of this couple after like 10 years of marriage. And there's this scene near the end of that movie where they're just kind of coming. They played nice in this divorce the whole time. They got a kid, a six-year-old kid. And They've kind of played nice for the kid and tried to do everything right, and they're just kind of at the, their ends, um, at the end of themselves in doing that. And so they just have this fight, and they start this fight, and it's like, you're like your mom. And she goes, you're like your dad. And it's like the worst cut down they could ever make of each other. It's like really sad, actually. Um, but then they start going in, and they're like, I sacrificed this. I sacrificed this. I did this for you. I did this for you. And this dude's like, I gave up my 20s for you. I think, man, that's terrible. I'm sorry, bud. Uh, but it's just this tit for tat, right? Their relationship, when it came to the end of it, the whole thing was about what they sacrificed, what they gave. And they could remember they had a filing cabinet that they could pull out. For you college students, that's an old thing that people had to keep track of things. Now you guys have the cloud. Um, but filing cabinets, right? Like, I just am going to keep this database 
in my mind of everything you've done wrong. And I'm going to pull it out when it's convenient. And that's what happens in transactional relationships. All the things that are done wrong to us are kept. And they're, they're, they're pulled out in the worst moments. In transformational relationships, like, they're nothing like that. Love is freely given with no strings attached. There's no squirt keeping. There's no record of wrongs. In transformational relationships, we believe the best about each other and our intentions. And, and transformational relationships, they look a lot like 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And I realize I've given you, I've talked about friendship, and then I just gave you dating relationships and marriage examples. And so I'm going to give you another one, 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm just kidding. That's not about marriage, although we do use it in marriage. But 1 Corinthians 13 is a great place to look at of what do transformational relationships look like. And it says this in verse 4. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It keeps no record of wrongs. Um, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I love that. And I think, like, when I talk to people, and I, the moments where I realize that people are, um, whenever they're angry at somebody, it's usually, it, some of it is about their behavior, but it's usually about their intention behind their behavior. Like, why did they do what they do? And it's, and instead of just, like, believing the best about others or keeping a record of wrongs, it's, again, this Rolodex or this, this filing cabinet that people pull out. And in transformational relationships, there's no place for that. Jesus says, hey, there's no record of wrongs. So the question here is, how do we move from transactional relationships to transformational ones? So I want to give you guys a few things here, and then I want to end with a, a story about Boss Baby because it's relevant, and it's not about dating relationships. Okay, the first thing that we need to do is to trust that God loves us and wants what's best for us. John 15, 9 and 11 says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. These things I've spoken to you, um, I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So God wants his disciples to know that he loves them because and so that their joy may be full. And God, like other places, Jesus says, I've come, they may have life and have it to the full. God wants good things for us. Now, that may not look like what we think it looks like, but it generally does mean like something about love and relationships and an intimacy and a uniqueness of love in those relationships. But trust that God loves us and wants what's best for us. The second thing we have to do is depend on Jesus to love others. Because it's hard, right? Like, people are going to hurt and they're going to wrong you. And what you're going to want to do is get back at them. Like, yesterday I was at a stop sign and I was at a stop sign for like half a second longer than I should have been. And somebody honked at me. And what did I want to do? I want to drive really slow the rest of the way to get back at them. Because that's what we want to do, because that is the, like, the natural, that's our nature, right? Our nature is not to, to love our enemies. 
or when people make us feel like we did something wrong, is to prove ourselves or to, or to do something to get back, back at them. But Jesus says, hey, that's not how we're going to do things here. We're going to love people. We're going to serve others. And it's going <laughs> to cause, it's, we're going to have to depend on Jesus in order to do that because we cannot do that on our own. It's not natural. Then the third thing we need to do is move from being self-focused to focusing on others. Move from being self-focused to focusing on others. And so a few ways to do that. What I would say is if you're going to be self, uh, move from being self-focused to focus on others, the first thing you need to do is go first, right? So many of us, we wait for other people to love us, and then we're going to reciprocate it. But with Jesus... He always gives us the example of going first. He washed his disciples' feet first. And First John, who also wrote this book, he said, John says, God, we love because he first loved us. That we should take the example of Jesus and go first. The second thing uh, we can do uh, to move from self-focused to others-focused is to listen well, right? I think in our culture, in our time, Listening is a really hard thing because we have so many distractions, including our cell phones. And I think if you want to show somebody just like honor and dignity and love, just listen well. And one way you can show that you can listen well is by asking good questions. Like be a connoisseur of questions. Like try to come up with the best questions that you can ask to make others feel loved and heard. And like I said before, like we have these cell phones and just put them down. Like, put them away. Because no matter whether you're listening or not, if your phone is out, like, that other person, I can only tell you what I think. Or what my experience is. When somebody else has their phone up, like, I think you're not listening to me. And so whether you are listening to me or not, like, what you communicate to me is that you don't care about me. um, And there's something else more important than me. And so I think the way that we use our phones and engage with other people is a big deal. And so I think part of listening well is starting just with putting your phone down and asking good questions. And then the third thing, and this is a no-duh because the whole point of this talk is if we're going to move from self-focus to focusing on others, we need to serve others. So look for ways to use your passions, your talents, and experiences to, sac- to, to sacrificially serve others slash meet the needs of others. And... Um, and I guess my challenge here would be, like, try to pick people who you think don't like you. Because it's easy to serve people that serve you or treat you well, right? Like, Jesus says, like, well, even the pagans do that. <laughs> it's like, no, like, love your enemies, right? And I think, what does he mean by loving your enemies? He means serve them. And, again, like, my natural tendency is not to serve my enemies. And so how can we find people in our lives that we think don't like us. They don't have to be our enemies, but that we think that don't like us. And how can we find ways to serve them? All right. I'm going to end with the story of Boss Baby. Great movie. Um, If you're doing communion, you guys can go get communion um, and start passing that out um, because I want you to hear the end of the story. Just kidding. All right. Boss Baby. Great movie. Love this movie. Um, Boss Baby is about two main characters. Um, There's a guy named Boss Baby, shocker, name of the movie, and Timmy Templeton. Boss Baby's a baby. Timmy Templeton is seven years old. They're brothers, right? And so 
the whole movie is like set around like this uh, new company called Baby Core, who's like creating these really cute puppies in order so that people won't have babies anymore, essentially, or love babies. And so this boss may be sent down to kind of defeat this evil like company that's being uh, created for puppies. And so, but the beginning of this movie is set up, and Timmy Templeton, it's in kind of the narrator, is a seven-year-old. And so, and it kind of, the movie's in his eyes. And so, he's talking about the survival of the fittest at the beginning. That this is what life's like. It's the survival of the fittest. And, like, whoever gets on top, like, we need to do everything we can to get our own needs met. And so... Um, Timby's kind of describing his relationship with his parents and how great it is and how they're like a triangle because there's two of them and one of him. And, and then, like, the next scene, this baby comes into the picture. And then the movie starts to talk about this baby and how this baby begins to take all this attention because babies have a lot of needs. And they're, they're, they're just a lot. They're great. I love them. Um, but they're a lot. And so this baby begins to take a lot of the attention of the parents away from Timmy. And kind of the crux of the beginning of this movie is um, this scene where this boss baby, um, Timmy kind of runs into his room because he hears the boss baby, like, talking in, like, a normal, like, adult voice. And he's like, what the heck is going on? Like, this baby can talk? And so he walks in. He sees this baby. And the baby's like, oh, shoot, he caught me. And so he, like, kind of the baby traps Timmy Templeton and makes him stay in that room. And he begins to tell him this story. And he says, hey, like, listen, Timmy, like, I got this mission to defeat this puppy core deal. Um, and so you're going to help me because I want to get out of this family. You want me to out of this family. And so the only way this is going to happen is if I can accomplish my mis- mission. And he kind of gets Timmy in line because he gets, he talks to him about this bead counter and about love. And he uses, like, have you guys ever seen those, like, single row bead counters where there's, like, ten of them and they go across? Right, one by one. So, so the boss baby starts explaining to Timmy, this is what life's like. There's only a certain amount of time, right? There's only a certain amount of love in the world. And right now, because I'm a baby, I take all of that from you with our parents. And if you keep me around, I'm going to get all the love. And you're going to get none of it. And he goes, hey, in business school, Timmy, this is what I learned. There's no sharing in life. You only take what you can get. And so Timmy goes, I'm on board. Let's get you out of this house. Let's defeat these puppy people. And they do because it's a Disney movie or something like that. It's DreamWorks. It's a kid's movie. Things go well. And they both get what they want, right? The boss baby leaves the house. Timmy gets his parents back and all of their affection. And the movie, the last scene is kind of the boss baby. He he gets this new office. He's, like, got this, like, window um, like corner office, it's super sweet, but this guy is bored and he's depressed. He's just sitting up there on his desk. And then there's Timmy, and Timmy's got his parents' affection, he's got everything he wants, and he's like, ah, but I miss my brother. And Timmy goes, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, okay, well, I got an idea. And he, he begins to write a letter to the boss baby, and he, and he gets this package, and he puts a bunch of stuff in this big, like, box. It's like a two-foot-by-two-foot box, and he just fills it up, and he sends it along with this letter. He sends it to the boss baby, and when, he, when the boss baby gets it, he's so excited. He's like, 
man, like, Timmy loves me. I'm going to get something from Timmy. He doesn't know what's in the box, but he opens it, and he begins to read this letter. And I want to read this letter to you because it's good. It says, Dear Boss Baby, I don't usually write very much, but now I know that memos are very important things. Even though I never went to business school, I did learn to share in kindergarten. And if there isn't enough love for the two of us, then I want to give all of mine to you. And the boss baby tips over the box, and it's just like hundreds and thousands of bead counters just like spill out onto the desk, and they fall onto the floor. And I go, man, like that's, that's it. Like that's love. Love is not a limited commodity. It's an unlimited resource that's meant to be given away. And here's the great paradox of love. It's when you seek to sacrificially give it away that you're able to receive it. So I think so many of us are just running after love. In fact, I don't know a person in the world that doesn't want to experience love, and not just romantic love, like true friendship. Jake gave all those statistics last week about loneliness. Like, we all long for this. Ironically, I think we just chase it, and we chase it, and we chase it. And just like me, as a 19-year-old, you come up, and you find yourself wanting. I think it's because we're so focused on getting it instead of giving it away for the good of others. So here's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that you would see that God went first. And that you would have the courage to do the same in your friendships. And that you would realize that it's only giving love away that you're actually able to experience it. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm -hmm.